There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Just as a body, through one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Good morning, everybody. It's always exciting to uh, get an opportunity to, to speak to you guys, and so I'm, I'm happy today, and uh, especially speaking on the Holy Spirit. So interesting topic, uh, lots of flexibility because we don't know much about it, so you can say what you want about it. So, but I won't do that. I'll try to stay within the framework of Scripture, and uh, we talk about how uh, the Holy Spirit works and, and how it's worked. Let me do a little preamble, a little history. I'm kind of a history guy, so I kind of like the background, and I like the connections. And, you know, we have the, the, the doctrine of the Trinity kind of developed over how we understand God presented through the Bible. And so the doctrine of the Trinity was that they talked about Jesus, God, and the Father, God, and the Holy Spirit, God. And so we have this doctrine of the Trinity because it talks about them as God. And in the, in the Bible history, we see kind of the predominance of the Father presented in the Old Testament, where the Holy Spirit's there, but it's kind of in the background, quite a bit in the background. And then Jesus comes, and Jesus is in the foreground, and the Holy Spirit is, has a more predominant role in the ministry of Christ than he had in the Old Testament. And then, of course, Pentecost comes, and then the Holy Spirit is this dominant part of the Trinity that we, that we experience. And we know that Jesus said in the end of the Gospels that it's better that he goes... Because if he doesn't go, the Holy Spirit can't come. And if you have this idea of kind of God out there in the Old Testament and God with us, Emmanuel with Jesus, and you have the idea of the Holy Spirit, God in us, in, in Acts and following. <clears throat> so we live in that period. And even though there's a lot of controversy about the Holy Spirit and denominations have looked at it differently, what it means, and through a lot of the history of the church, it's probably been pretty well ignored because people don't understand it. And it's kind of wild. I think the thing about the Holy Spirit, it doesn't seem to have, it's hard to control it. And I think it tends to disperse power in the church away from the established uh, leadership. And so people are afraid of it. And if you go back to church history, you'll find that that's pretty true. If we look at Acts, we see a time when people were very needy. You know, they didn't have very good jobs. Uh, they didn't have a paycheck. Uh, there was wars, there was an oppressive government, the Roman government was very oppressive to the Christians, and the, the Jews were oppressive to the Christians, they were being persecuted, uh, no medical science, so people were crippled and had a lot of ailments that they couldn't get fixed. And so, if you look at the Holy Spirit's operation in Acts, you see him doing a lot of miraculous things in those areas. 
heal, a lot of healings. Basically, uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit probably had more to do with healing in Acts than anything else. But there's miracles. Remember when Paul or Peter is in prison and he gets released miraculously after they're praying for him. So that's an act of the Holy Spirit doing that. And also predicting uh, famine. There was a big famine predicted. And so there was money taken up to kind of help some of the, the, uh, uh, the Christians in Jerusalem to prepare for that famine. So we see the Holy Spirit in that role. We see this prophetic role. We see the prophetic role in the Old Testament. You see the prophets. And their role in the Old Testament was kind of to point out what God was doing. And so the king, what would happen, the king would get kind of overwhelmed with his power, which is nothing that doesn't happen today. And he'd get overwhelmed with his power, and he would be going in a direction, and the prophet would come and say, that's wrong. You know, if the prophet was, was brave enough to put up with what the king was going to do to him. That was a prophet's role, to kind of point the kingdom in the right direction. And so we see that prophetic role in the Old Testament. And even in the New Testament, in, in Acts, we see the, the role of the prophets. You notice there's a number of prophecies talked about in Acts, and there's a, a couple of sisters who were prophets. And so we see this, these gifts of the spirits that are kind of spread out to these people that aren't very famous. In fact, sometimes they're not even named they're just, we, we see a manifestation of the Spirit. And so this prophetic role, I think is, um, I kind of want to go with it just a little bit, and then I'll go on to something else. But I think it's an important role with the Spirit. And I think it has a way, even in the church today, I think there's kind of a, a prophetic role to try to tell people, hey, you're kind of going the wrong way. And I think uh, leadership and pastors should cultivate that in the church where they put up with that kind of troublemaker, you know, like... Uh, I think it was uh, Ahab talking about Elijah being you great trouble, you troubler of, of Israel, and the troubler of Ahab, you know. But so I think that that role in the church is really important that you have this prophetic role, and I think it's probably well ignored. I think most churches would discourage that because it means the pastor has to put up with crazy John in the corner telling him how to how to run things. So, but I think that's an important thing, and I think that's something that's, that's very valid in the church. And I think if you go into church history. Uh, after, you know, after Pentecost and, and on into the 400 years or the 1,000 years later, you see the, the consolidation of power in Rome. You see all this consolidation of power in Rome, and it seemed like the Holy Spirit left. You know, the Holy Spirit uh, in Acts, he's in the central of authority. You know, you got the apostles who are preaching, and the Holy Spirit's very active with these guys. But then when that power gets consolidated in Rome, you know, 400 uh, uh, A.D., you see, the, we don't see much about the Holy Spirit. But if you look at church history, there was a lot of stuff going on on the periphery. There were priests who were prophetic, who were talking about the corruption of Rome, and, and there were miracles happening. And I think most of us who come out of the Protestant tradition, we tend to ignore that time. We think, well, a bunch of superstition, and you know, we, we don't even pay any attention to that thousand years from 400 to uh, you know, the Reformation, about 1519. So I think that prophetic role in the Holy Spirit tends to leave when there's a lot of human power. It tends to, it tends to flourish where there's a, an atmosphere of allowing it to. We have a pastor in uh, California that always says the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. You know, if you, if you push him away, he's going to go away. He's not, he's not a dominant, he's not that super force that's going to counteract uh, human power. So I think that the Holy Spirit comes... And it's really important for us, and I think if you would have looked at, let's say the Bible would have been written during the Reformation, those guys would have probably been called prophets. You know, Luther and Calvin and the Reformers, they would have probably been called a prophet because they were a prophet to the church, to the, to the, the, 
the church that was existing that day, and they were pointing out, just like the old prophets did, uh, God's way and what was wrong with the church and the corruption in the church. So these things aren't gone away. They just kind of change in nature. And I think that uh, society being different and our society being different from, from the Acts, the society of first century uh, Middle East, and that has a lot to do with how we're going to deal with the Holy Spirit. So let me uh, reread this and let's have a prayer, and then we'll, that's the preamble, we'll start. <clears throat> now, each one, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. <clears throat> to one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Dear Lord, uh, we just uh, we're happy to be with you today on this beautiful day, and, and we, we know that uh, this, these things are not accidental, that, that you've planned this, Lord, and you want us to begin to, to seek you out in this way and to try to find out the, the secrets of the Holy Spirit and to, to allow the Holy Spirit into our lives in a bigger way and into our church. And be with us. Uh, let me have the right words to speak, Lords, and let the ears be open to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So the culture, of, the culture that we live in today is a lot different than the culture in first century church. And so the way the Holy Spirit's going to work is a lot different than he worked then because we don't have those huge problems. Most of the time, like in the United States, we don't have, you know, we go to doctors, that's our first line of defense against the illness. So people aren't, when they, something happens to them, they don't usually go get prayed for, they go to the doctor. And we have paychecks, monthly paychecks, we have, we have good government that kind of allows us to worship. There's not much persecution. So we don't see that dominant role. And I think a lot of people, because it's not so dominant in our culture. Now, obviously, in other parts of the world, it's more like first century uh, Jerusalem. But in our culture, it's, it doesn't have the dominant role. So we tend to think that, well, maybe the Holy Spirit has kind of taken an exit, that he's not very important in our life. But I think for us we have to kind of reach out more maybe than the first century Christians did because it was in their life every day and they had to pray because they had no other option. And I think the Holy Spirit comes when you don't have another option. I think if you're going to, you know, if you're going to depend on your paycheck and the doctor and the government, which we all do, the Holy Spirit's not going to be much involved in that because you've got these other securities. It's another power that is, that is in your life to take care of you and then the Holy Spirit's not going to be there. Just like uh, during the first, you know, the fourth century church where the power was concentrated in Rome and the Holy Spirit kind of went away. So for us in the church, we have to kind of do something about that. We have to sort of reach out and try to, try to tune in to what the Holy Spirit's doing or what he wants to do for us in, in, in our church. So I think that's a very important difference. And I think a lot of people have said because the Holy Spirit's not so active that he was good for that time, but what is he doing now? We really don't know. There's a lot of denominational differences about what the Holy Spirit role, role is because in the first century church, he was so active. I think the way that we, that we deal with being receptive to the Spirit, spiritually, we need to be kind of on thin ice. I think we build security. I think we're always building security. It's our nature to do that, to, to get a good job, have a good income, keep ourselves healthy, you know, go to the doctor, 
uh, have a home that we can afford. We're always trying to build security in our lives. And I think spiritually, we kind of need to step out and be on a thin ice. If you want to have the Holy Spirit, you're going to have to take some risk. He's part of the risk issue. If you don't risk it, you're going to just depend on what everybody else depends on. You know, if we go out in New York City and we see our neighbors, you know, they depend on the same stuff we do. So you're going to look a lot like them. You know, maybe we look too much like them. Maybe that's part of our problem. But I think you have to begin to take some risk spiritually. And I think what happens in the church, we get an opportunity to do that. On the job, you get an opportunity to do that because there's things that you can sort of step into that puts you at risk spiritually, that you're going to have to depend. You're going to have to depend on God to help you in that situation. And I think we tend to stay away from those things because we want to be safe. And I think if we want the Holy Spirit to come in our personal lives and in the church, we're going to have to be people that step out, step into those risky spiritual situations. And I think one of the things about our church at LMCC, I think some way we have an advantage because I look out, the people that I know better here are all from somewhere else. And so you had to leave your home you had to leave your church, you had to leave your friends, and you came to New York. And you put yourself at risk to come here. And most of us that are pretty serious Christians, we prayed a lot about it. So it wasn't like we just came on a lark that we, we talked to God about it, and, and we felt that God was telling us to do this thing. And so we've taken some of those risks already. And I think it's, it's a little easier maybe for us to step out into some spiritual risks than us, us people from an established church that have been going to the same church all their lives, you know, kind of the old standard church. And so in a way, we're kind of lucky that God, I think God can do that for us, can, can open the doors uh, of the spiritual gifts so we can begin to operate in those gifts. And you've got to sort of step into it before you kind of know. It's one of those, you know, most of the time, you know, you go to a new job, and he tells you what you're going to be doing and how much money you're going to be making, how much vacation you got. And so you get this set up before you take the job. But in God's ways, you don't do that. You take the job, then you get the setup. And so you got to step into it before you begin to get reinforced. And the gifts of the Spirit come from faith, just like everything in Christianity is based on faith. You know, it's an issue of faith. You know, the just shall live by faith. And in every aspect of Christianity, whether you're just coming to faith or you're stepping on in the Lord, it's all about faith. It's not about uh, a guarantee. It's not about a written evidential guarantee that that you can use to make sure everything works right. So I think that, as I say, we, we're getting, we're able to step out <clears throat> and we have to look outward and not inward. We have to keep our eyes outward. We have to look at, we have to try to figure out what God's doing. I know that that's, that's difficult. I'm not saying this stuff is easy, but I don't think God's very easy. I think God's, it's hard to know God, just like it's hard to know the people that you love. I mean, husbands and wives, how hard is it to know each other? We know that it's difficult to know and so God's, he's hard to know. And so we, he wants all of our energy to try to know who he is. And he, he wants us to look outward and try to see what he's doing, not only in the church, but in our families and on the job. What are those opportunities that are there? And once you define those opportunities and you're willing, you're willing to step into those opportunities, I think that's when God comes and you begin to experience the gifts of the Spirit. And we'll talk about that in a minute. And you have to believe in the supernatural activity of the Holy Spirit. It's not just a matter of persuasion, you know, arguing somebody about God. There's, there has to be that supernatural activity. And Christ said that you can't come to him unless the Spirit draws you. So we, we can't ignore that side because we ignore it because we can't control it. We, want, we like the persuasion side and we like persuasive sermons and, you know, signing cards and 
all that kind of thing that we can control, but the Holy Spirit you don't control. The Holy Spirit is that, it's elusive, you know? It's kind of like the will of the wisps, you know, running off through the woods, and you're always trying to get your hands on it, and you never quite do that, even though you can draw closer. You can become more effective in the Holy Spirit. Every believer has gifts. It's not just a talented, and, and that is so provable, because if you look at the apostles, they were so untalented, and they were so uneducated, and they were so timid. And, you know, and probably any one of us would be a better candidate for a follower of Christ if you were just looking at our natural abilities and the apostles were. So on purpose, on purpose, God chose these guys so the glory of God could be demonstrated. And then we see them in, we see them in the Gospels and all the things that they did and all the fumbles and all the, uh, you know, Peter denying Christ and questions and not really knowing who Jesus was and knowing for a while and forgetting later and asking him again. We see all those fumbles that the apostles had, and yet we get into, we get into Acts, and what happens, man? Something happens, right? The wild thing that happens, like the first two chapters, it's like suddenly these guys are one way, and Pentecost happens, and they're another way. And then what happens? They change the world. Absolutely change the world. There's never been a more remarkable change than those 11, I guess 12 if you count Paul, guys did on the world, these kind of, Paul was pretty cool, you know, he had some pedigree, but these other guys had none. And so there's that remarkable thing. So we see the work of the Holy Spirit, and we can't say, I can't do it. I don't have the talent for it. Because we do have something that God, as believers, God wants us to be effective. And he wants us to be more than, in a minor way, effective. He wants us to have real power, real supernatural power. But you've got to believe it. You know, it's not just a matter of reading it in Scripture. You have to believe it. And then you have to act on it. And usually, you don't feel like it. Usually, you don't feel like it. And that's the problem. You've got to obey. You know, a lot of it's about obedience. The first thing is obedience. It isn't feeling good about it. It's being obedient and walking in this stuff. <clears throat> so, I want to talk about some of the... Uh, uh, other things about the Holy Spirit, the, the church leaders, I think one of the jobs of the church leaders is kind of to look out at who God's brought in and, and decide the needs of the church, the jobs that need to be done, and who God is looking at. And it may, again, not be the most talented person. It may be somebody off in the corner. But it's up to us to do that. I don't think we do a great job of that. I'm not saying that, but that's our job, is to look out there and see who God has appointed to do that church task. Because the, Holy, the gifts of the Spirit operate within the church mainly. Not that they don't have a spillover effect, but mainly they operate within the church. And uh, I wanted to use Ryan as an example. Ryan, you've been about three and a half years, is that right? So Ryan came three and a half years ago in first church, going to NYU, part-time, church is kind of on rocky ground. And so Ryan, so I know that I know what Ryan did. He never told me what he did, but I know what he did. He said, man, I need some help. This is going to be really tough. And he looked out, and I know he prayed about it because I know he believes this stuff. And he began to pick leaders that he identified as the Holy Spirit where these leaders were going to respond to the Holy Spirit. And they weren't the most impressive people except for a couple in church. <laughs> so, so that's what Ryan, and so that's, that's the role. And, and the ministries, we begin to develop ministries, we begin to look for people, you know, you see kind of like uh, little waves out there on the, on the water, and you look and, and, and you feel like something's happening, and you look at that and you identify those people as being somebody God is calling into those fields. And that's, that's the leadership's job. 
Because a lot of people don't have the courage to stand up and say, well, gee, I think God wants me to do this. And we don't feel that confident. And so the pastor and the leadership staff is supposed to look out there and encourage that. That's what we're supposed to do. And that's an important thing. So some of the ways you can tell if you have a spiritual gift is that if people start talking to you about doing something, that's a good indicator. You should begin to think, wow, you know, maybe, maybe that's God. Because almost always God talks through people. He hardly ever just comes in a dream or, you know, you have, a, it's usually through people. I'm not saying he doesn't do that. I don't want to restrict God ever, but basically it's through people. So when somebody asks you to do something, you should be pondering, well, maybe that's God. Maybe God's asking me through him. I'm not saying it's always that, that it's always God asking, but a lot of times it's God asking. That's how we find out. And what's the difference between natural and spiritual gifts? I think that's a really a hard question. And it's not very clear, but I think I can maybe point out some things about it. <clears throat> I think if you've been a Christian a long time, it's hard to tell the difference because you get, it all gets kind of wrapped together and you don't really know. If you come to faith as an adult and maybe you had some talents and, and later on there's something really new happened in your life, you can probably bet that's a spiritual gift. Something, Especially if it's something you don't like to do that God calls you into. That's a real good indication that it's a spiritual gift. And so there's a difference between... Uh, the spiritual gifts and, and the natural gifts. And what you've been good at, what you are naturally good at, that's a natural gift. And the church should use those too. It's not like you should dismiss those gifts. But a spiritual gift is something that's new, something that comes into your life after you became a Christian. And sometimes it's a new direction, something that you hadn't counted on. We were talking earlier in service, and Matthew was talking about children's ministry, how he uh, he doesn't particularly care for children's ministry. So if he got called to do children's ministry, he'd know that was a spiritual gift because he doesn't want to do it. So that's an indicator. And these things are not, they're not real clean. I mean, it's, it's not a scientific kind of division and like you would dissect a frog and look at the heart. It's not like that. It, there's a lot of overlap. But we've got to begin to look at these things because they're important. So we don't, we, don't, we don't have the privilege of backing away from it because it's hard to understand. And, and as leaders, we don't have the privilege of backing away from it because it's kind of disruptive sometimes because people think they got spiritual gifts. And another thing about spiritual gifts, it's kind of intuitive. It's not intellectual. It isn't something that you plan. It's like inspiration. You, get in, you, know, you pray for somebody and God reveals something about that situation. Wisdom, we have the gift of wisdom. It's kind of a, kind of a general direction to go. And the gift of knowledge where there's sort of knowledge that is uncovered. In a, in, a, in a supernatural way. That you can, you're, you're working in a spiritual gift. And another thing about spiritual gifts, they bring glory to God. And our personal gifts tend to bring glory to us. Even though when we know it's bad and we try to hide it and we try to say it doesn't, but in a way it brings glory to us anyway. So the spiritual gifts bring glory to God. And that's what we want to do. They all point to God. And if you look at the old, we see this in Acts, that all those miraculous signs that happen the first thing they were trying to do was to point to the reality of God, that this was a God with power. It wasn't like the gods they were worshiping. You know, they had all their gods, Diana and, and Zeus and all these gods, but they had no power. And then when the apostles came on the scene, they would do a miracle and it would point to the fact that this God's got some power. And so it was a witness to God. And so we know that the spiritual gifts are going to witness to God, not only to the person, let's say it's an individual basis, somebody, you're, maybe you're praying for healing and somebody gets healed, it witnesses to the power of God to that person, but it also witnesses to the power of God to you. So that person's faith is built 
and your faith is built. And we need those things in our life. I mean, we, the just shall live by faith, but there's more to it than faith. That's not the end. Because once, once you are operating in that area, you need more faith for the next challenge, right? The challenges continue to be difficult because God expects you to perform well. So it points to God instead of self. And another subtle difference here, I think, is you end up doing God's will and not doing just good works. You know, there's a big difference. A good work is something that you sort of choose. You know, well, there's this need out here, I'm going to do that. Not necessarily God's will for you and in your congregation. And it's a more intimate relationship to God when you're doing his will than you're just doing good works. And in the spiritual gifts, we should be able to channel into what God's will is and not just do good works. Another, the purpose, we talked about the purpose being point to the reality of God, the power of God. And the Bible says that, you know, the gospel and the information of God without power is empty. There's power in this stuff. We can't just deny the power because we don't understand it. We can't deny the power because we, 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 we're afraid of it because it tends to be kind of a little crazy sometimes. So the power of, of the gospel has actual power to it. It's not just a philosophy. You know, and theology is cool. I like theology. It's real neat. It all kind of, you know, binds together. It's nice to talk about. But it can't just be that. It has to have power to it. So that's important. And it also relieves people's suffering. So if you look at Jesus' ministry in, in the gospel, when he, when he healed people, everybody, nobody could argue with that. You know, he would heal somebody, and the, the, the Pharisees are saying, how can we argue with this guy? We don't like him, and we want to kill him, but we can't argue with him. And so it would make, make this reality of God's power, and it also relieves suffering, because these people were suffering. So as, as ministers, that's what we do. We bring the reality of God's power and working in the gifts of the Spirit we bring the reality of God's power, and we also relieve suffering. People that are having relationship problems, and obviously healing is still a major event for us because we tend to go to the doctor first, and if it don't work, then we start praying about it. But that's us. You know, and I don't, I don't really have a big problem with that because God's given us doctors too, but we tend to do that. And it also forwards the purposes of the church. So the whole church grows the church moves in new directions, and for example, when we came to this, this uh, uh, venue here from, from the school, now we prayed a lot about it. I don't remember anybody having a dream or anything, and I'm not sure how active the Spirit was in our decision, but we prayed a lot about it, and we, were, we believed that God was going to direct us correctly, even though there wasn't any dramatic encounter with the Holy Spirit. As far as I know, there wasn't for me at least, but, but we brought that to God. We didn't just try to make a practical decision on money location, even though those factors were considered, but we tried to do it something pleasing to God. So it also is the direction of the church. And I think that's especially true with evangelism. And I want to kind of touch on that before we end. So how, what's going on with us? What, you know, where are we and, and how are we in this process? How are we going to move on in this? And again, talking about LMCC, I, I mentioned the fact that we come from other places. I think that's a blessing in, in responding to the Holy Spirit because we don't have all these roots that, that we once had. And I think God's kind of blessed us. And uh, Sue and I have been here for four years. We were supposed to be here for two. Then we were going to be here for three. And then we were going to leave in April. And three weeks before we were supposed to leave, a big thing happened in her company and she had to stay. So I see God's hand in that. Now, I see God's hand in that. I, may, I, can't, I don't think I can say that's a miracle, but I definitely see God's hand in that. And I know other people that are not supposed to be here who are still here. 
And I think God is doing something to get us together so that we can get to know each other. There, you have to have some time to know people. You just can't, no matter how sweet you are, you can't make a connection. You know, if you're here for four or five months and you're moving off to, you know, Knoxville, Tennessee or something like that, you can't make a connection. So God has to keep us together so we get to know each other and hopefully we get to love each other, okay? Now, churches don't always love each other. Churches that have been together a long time don't always love each other. So it's not automatic that you get to love each other. But I think that we really do. I, I, know, I know a lot of people here, and I, and I sense a, a lot of love. And most people, if I would ask them, people that have attended here for a while, they'll say, yeah, we really love each other. And, and we don't know each other very well. I mean, we're beginning to know each other. We don't come from the same places. We have different religious backgrounds. But I think we're beginning to love each other. So I think there's these gifts. I think these are some subtle kind of... Uh, the plowing the field, you know, watering the field, getting the field ready. And I think God has given us these gifts in our particular congregation so that we can begin to move in to a deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit. How do we do it? We have small groups. And, and I don't, I'm just not up here selling small groups, but it, it's going to sound like that. And we have really good small groups. And we've been going for three years, I guess, maybe four. And that's a time when you can begin to share more intimate matters. And so we get to pray for people in small groups. And we, then we break up sometimes into smaller groups. And if somebody's got a problem, they're able to share it among, among a, a group of people that they feel more comfortable with. And it works. And we get to pray. And, and, and boy, sometimes we see answered prayer. I'm telling you, we really do. It's not just my imaginations. I mean, I can't prove it. I can't, I can't scientifically prove that God answered that prayer. But man, if you pray for something and it happens, who are you going to argue with? We argue with God for that. I don't argue with God about that. I just say, okay, that's God. And so we see that in small groups where we've been able to have them and we've been able to exercise the gifts of the Spirit. I don't know if we name them. I don't know if we check them off, but we begin able, especially healing and, and you know, good advice that kind of bordered on the supernatural. I don't know where you cross the line at, but you do cross the line. And sometimes what we've been able to do, we usually come in here before service. A lot of the pastors are here. And we've prayed for people in the morning. People would come in, we kind of drag them off into the corner, and we can pray for people in the morning. So that's a good time to come, because there's always a number of pastors here, a number of people that's willing to pray for you. It's really a good time to come with your problems and, and you know, meet God, meet, meet the Holy Spirit in that kind of contact. A big thing that I, uh, I really like laying out of hands, I think that is, you know, and I know that maybe it has a bad reputation for some of you, but I think this somehow the physical contact makes it work better. And if you look at Jesus' ministry, he almost always touched people. I mean, physically touched people, or they touched him. So I think that's really important. I know it sounds a little bit off kilter here, but I think it's really important to have that contact for somehow it works better that way. When we touch people, we put our hands on them, and we pray for them, and somehow the Holy Spirit seems to work in that Environment, and if you look at Acts, it's kind of the same thing. There was a lot of a lot of touching going on in that in that respect. So I think that's an important thing. Uh, finally, let me kind of uh, let me kind of uh, sum up here. <clears throat> I think there's kind of four things that you need to to really operate in your gift. I don't know what your gift is. I think as God presents you presents an issue in your family or in the church or in your job, you should move into that issue. That's how you're going to find out. Obviously, there's a lot of prayer about healing. That's probably still the most dominant kind of uh, prayer that we have about healing. But I think there's kind of four things. First of all, you have to be obedient. 
First of all, you have to be obedient. That's the foot in the door. Without obedience, nothing else comes. So obedience is the first thing. So if something happens, you have to feel like God wants you to do something about that. You can't just dismiss it. And, and I know we all do that. You walk away from it. But what if God doesn't do something? Then that guy's going to feel he's going to be further away than, than he is now. But that's not your call. Your call is to do something about it in the Lord. So you have to be obedient. Then you have to have faith that God's going to do something. Now, I don't know what he's going to do. He may not do what you think he's going to do. You may not have an instant healing. I mean, some of these things are complicated. You know, relationship, you know, issues of relationship are really complicated. But we believe that we can, and we pray for somebody and we believe that God's going to get involved in that situation. So you, you have obedience, you have faith, you have to have compassion. And if you look at Christ, one of the things that always impressed me about Christ, I know we get caught up in all these great miracles, but think of how he cared about those people. All these losers. I mean, they were really, really losers. You know, beggars and cripples and, and illiterate people and lepers and dirty people and people outside of the established order. All these losers that he cared about. And let me tell you, they were really losers because it wasn't just, you know, it was society that said they were losers. You know, if you were sick or if you had been crippled from birth, well, your parents sinned. There's a sin here. It isn't just like we even, we're more charitable than that. I mean, even non-Christians think it's not some sin your parents committed, but that's what they thought. If you were unfortunate, you had sinned to get there. And those are the people Jesus cared about. And so compassion, compassion is a really important thing to come in with compassion for the people that we pray for. And if you don't have it, pray for it. I mean, I'm not saying everybody's going to have it, but you can pray for that too. And last, perseverance. You have to preserve in prayer because a lot of times it's not going to be like, you remember the cripple that uh, Peter uh, said, you know, stand on your feet. There's a little song. He was walking and leaping and praising God in Acts. He prayed for this guy and he jumps up and his ankles are well. He's been crippled all his life. It usually doesn't happen like that. I mean, I think it does happen that way sometimes. Usually it doesn't. So you've got to persevere in, in, in going to prayer over this issue with that person. You've got to keep in contact with that person because God wants to know if you're serious. You know, that's why he makes us wait. He wants to know that we're serious about it. Most of us aren't very serious. You know, we, we're all involved in something, and a week later we forgot, you know, because we're, you know, we're going to the theater and we're going to see some great show, and we forgot about that person. So if, if you're serious, you have faith, and you persevere, you're going to get some prayers answered. And I think those are kind of the four things you need. I read this uh, book by Henry Blackaby, who wrote a little book on the Holy Spirit. It's called uh, What's So Spiritual About Your Gifts? And I want to use this quote, and I think it's something to remember. And he says, equipping always follows assignment. And I think that's really important. You're not going to get equipped before you have to do it. You're going to have to do it, and then you're going to get equipped. So you've got to step out in faith. Like everything in Christianity is about faith. You've got to step out in faith, and then God begins to equip. Or you'll learn something by moving into that. If you don't move into those things, it's going to be a kind of a stale Christianity for you. You've got to move into those things. Uh, so I want to kind of end with that and uh, think about that. Think about what God's going to... And hopefully this sermon is going to open some doors and you're going to be thinking about these things and God's going to begin to move in your life in that way. Let me end with a prayer here. Dear Lord, we um, really thank you for this time together and uh, we pray that you would speak to us and that you would come, Holy Spirit, come in a, a bigger way. We know that you come in 
There's little ways and there's big ways, and we would pray that you would come to us in a big way, that we could know how you operate in our church and in our lives. Uh, Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen.